This episode is brought to you by Happy Mess. Happy Mess? The kids' art place? Yeah, they do art classes and sensory play and after-school programs and in-school classes and birthday parties and camps. And adult events. Buy tickets to our next paint night or book your own for your next occasion or staff party. Check it out at www.happymess.net. What's www? World Wide Web. This episode is brought to you by ServiceMaster Sea to Sky. A home is more than just a house and an office is more than just a place to work. ServiceMaster is here to offer home and business services when you need them the most. ServiceMaster handles water, flood, fire, and reconstruction services. We take on jobs big and small. There's no project we haven't seen before. ServiceMaster, the complete customer experience. Call us at 604-938-0822 or on the web, smctosky.com. That's smctosky.com. ServiceMaster Sea to Sky, restoring peace of mind. This is the Sea to Sky podcast, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome back to another Sea to Sky podcast, 2022 Squamish Municipal Election Edition. Today in the pod shed, we have none other than council candidate Lauren Greenlaw. Lauren, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's early. This interview is early in the morning. Are we? Are you caffeinated enough to be here? Oh well, I'm almost never caffeinated enough. Oh, okay. Well, well generally so speaking, I'm okay. While we're kicking this thing off, let's just ask a first question: Ca- coffee or tea? Um, <laughs> I mean, we we are first thing in the morning. Yeah. It, it, de- it depends on how self-disciplined I am. I keep trying to get off of coffee, but if I'm being honest, it's coffee. Maybe espresso. That works. <laughs> I like it. That works. You've been to Squamish, I think, I think I first met you about six years ago? Before, yeah. Yeah. What brought you to Squamish? So I, I'd been on the West Coast for, you know, since 2004. I'd been living in Vancouver and we had a placement in Spokane. So we went to Spokane for a little while and I came back and I visited one of my best friends who'd moved to Squamish. And I picked up the phone and I was like, Mike. We're moving to Squamish. I'm meeting with a realtor tomorrow. See you next week. (laughs) And then we moved to Squamish. I mean, the first time I came to Squamish was years before that. And I was just blown away. But for some reason, it didn't occur to me that I could live here. And then, you know, I was like, we're living here. So we moved here. (laughs) So in your years of living here, at some point you want to run for council? How did that happen? We have two little girls. I feel like our society is in a place where we need a lot of help right now and we need a lot of change and um i'd like to be active in that i'd like to take part i'd like to be part of the change and what kind of change are we looking at here when you see all the change happening are are we we specifically talking about densification of things what's going on (laughs) well so i meant more like i i think a lot about systems so i i think pretty broad picture so to me it's like societal change towards equity and environmental reparations and, and that angle of it um, because I'm a geologist, right? So I have been studying the earth for over 20 years and I have a lot of significant concerns about where we are environmentally. But no, the change that's happening, you know, on a local level within the municipality is it's happening fast. Yeah, I have thoughts about that change as well. <laughs> well, that's what you're here for. We're going to yeah. dive into some of these thoughts and, mm-hmm. and, and get your thoughts on some of these big ticket items that really a lot of our listeners are concerned about. 
I guess uh, why don't we kick it off? We spoke a little bit there. Marcus did about density. Mm-hmm. Uh, density is a big thing here in Squamish. That's like I think the biggest thing people are talking about. That yeah. and Brennan Park, I believe, are the two biggest things. And they not necessarily should be the two biggest things, but you know, with density happening downtown at the rate it is, um, is it is it something that you? I don't know. What, what do you think about the density happening downtown? In an ideal world, we would not need any development. Everybody I talk to who is in the know says like because of the housing crisis we need some development personally i would rather see densification in areas that can still accommodate some densification while keeping like the feel as much as we can rather than sprawl because it's basically you grow up or you grow out yeah so densification is a hard one but it's it's more about how we do it than whether or not we do i think so is, is the rate of the densification not to your liking? Is it too fast? Should we slow down? Should we do more of an analysis of how we're densifying? So, I mean, if you want to essentially make a freeze, you would have to kind of do it like now because there's many projects in the pipeline. I mean, how would you tackle that if you want to slow it down or are you okay with the rate that it is? I would prefer to see it slowed down for sure. I think we have, I think there are significant concerns about our infrastructure and whether or not it can handle this capacity. I mean, like any parent in town knows that there's almost no support for children right now. Yeah, we definitely need to upgrade our facilities, upgrade our infrastructure, but it becomes a very tricky conversation because how do we pay for that? Right now, we've gotten rid of most of our industry. So right now, our main industry is, you know, tourism and development, essentially. So so it becomes a little bit of a, a chicken and egg conversation about how do we pay for the infrastructure that we need without development. And I don't know that we can really pause or stop development legally. If you say that you can't, I mean, you need a majority vote on council to do that. And a lot of people don't feel like that is in the best interest of the people of Squamish because we have a housing crisis. And if we don't increase our supply, we're going to have a real hard time giving people basic needs like shelter. But in terms of slowing it down, I mean, I do have concerns about the developments that are going in and the quality of construction. And I, I would like to see that addressed. I don't know if that means having more building inspectors on staff for the city or having more frequent inspections or, or what. Um, but in terms of uh, slowing down the development, like, yeah, I'd be open to slowing it down for sure. Taking a look at how, how fast we're slapping the stuff up. I'd also like to see how many units are coming through the pipe right now and what our projective growth is based on that. And uh, yeah, seeing how, how we match up with that with infrastructure. You spoke a little bit about being a scientist mm-hmm. and having studied the earth. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's common knowledge that we're facing, a, you know, a, go, a global climate change and not for the good. There's been some some discussion around city planning and whether we're, whether our big urban centers are getting it right or getting it wrong with the amount of concrete and such. Mm. So do you feel that there's enough green space in Squamish if we're going to densify, you just said the up or the out, if we're going to densify the Squamish and infill those areas right now with density, do we have enough green space to counteract that, that climate change? I think that's a, a fairly complicated question. I, it has to do also with energy efficiency, right, of the buildings. And you can actually create buildings that are passive, that have minimal carbon footprints, 
uh, whether or not we're doing that. I, I don't think I don't think that's the case, but I'm not sure um, what you're getting at with the green space versus like, are you basically saying that? Well, the they're just saying it, 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 in our large urban centers, essentially, some uh-huh. some some scientists, some reports, some, you know, people who have a, a broader paycheck or they're higher ups than I am are saying that essentially the way we've been building our cities thus far, mm-hmm. that we've been densifying our urban centers, a lot of concrete, asphalt, pavement, mm-hmm. which and not enough green to counteract the actual the climate change crisis right so that at the end of the day it 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 very well could actually be contributing to the crisis instead of trying to counteract so whether that's true or not i'm just asking do you think there's there's enough green space within squamish to counteract some of these if we're going to densify and and create this urban center here in squamish locally yeah, well, I would say in general, the environmental impact of densification over um, sprawl is significantly lower because you've got lower, you know, you have a lower footprint, you're able to have more green space, you um, have more energy efficient buildings, you have more shared resources. So in that sense, it is a, a smarter way to grow. But I mean, also, I mean, we have to talk about livability. We have to keep our downtown somewhere where people want to live. And I don't think anybody in Squamish wants to see friggin' 10 story buildings going on, going up downtown. Right. So it becomes a real conversation about balance. Like, what can we afford ecologically? What can we afford, you know, emotionally downtown? What do we want our city to look like? And how do we balance that with growth? and environmental concerns. But the the current council did pass the climate uh, action plan, right? So they've been doing a lot of looking at what the carbon footprints are of these buildings that are going in and everything like that. So there are documents out there to kind of guide decision making. A little bird told me that you actually show up at council meetings and figure out all these things and you're actually paying attention to how things are working, which is kudos on you. <laughs> See, we were everywhere. We know everything. And so and we see I, and you in the back of council chamber. We see you in the back there, just lurking, learning lurking. everything. <clears throat> Apart from densification, what other issues have you come across or have you talked to people about that seems to be a prevailing problem that we have in Squamish? Well, a lot of people are worried about LNG, you know, and the the work that's going on around that. I, I, I am very concerned about that. Uh, with my background as a geologist, I understand the environmental implications of these projects. And, uh, you know, it's currently outside of our jurisdiction because it's essentially a provincial mandate. And I have issues with that. But one of the one of the things that I would really like to explore is like everybody is concerned about development, right? Everybody, you you know, either they don't want it in their neighborhood or they don't like something that's been done or they've bought something that is is not a very well-built facility. I wonder... If there's room to have a conversation about people in our community having more rights, more of a say in what kind of development goes on in their neighborhood. Because I hear a lot of people who are just concerned about how their communities are going to change. And I, I think there's room to have conversations about maximizing land usage in ways that is not densification. See, our district is dependent mainly on property taxes of residents. So mm-hmm. the development is actually one of the biggest tax drivers in the district. Unless you start managing the properties or the land use to create other industries, to diversify the economy, essentially, what other industry could we be bringing into Squamish to use that land? I mean, um, yeah, I do think it's important to try to attract industry, the right industry into Squamish for sure, because my understanding is they're a better tax generator than, for instance, home taxes. <laughs> Help me. Property taxes. <laughs> property taxes. That's Residential the one. property. Residential, Residential property. property taxes. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, like, 
One of the things that we're really talking about with climate change and affordability is also food security. And with a changing climate, with, uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on, like forest fires and everything, we need to, it's really important that we actually secure food security within our community. Maybe food production in some of these neighborhoods that can produce food, maybe that is a good contribution to the community that could possibly be more valuable than densification. Because, you know, we kind of need food. And by that, I mean, we need food, <laughs> right? Well, I'm, I'm looking at a diversification of the economy, mainly so we're not dependent on property taxes and CACs to help us build things. Mm-hmm. There's always wants and needs, right? Yes. We need, I think, better green space. I think we need, you know, an idea for like a public farms or we have food accessible. I mean, that's obviously important, but there's also wants. So like people want a Brennan Park. Mm-hmm. People want a splash pad. People want a second ice sheet. People want a lot of things. And it's mm-hmm. just finding that balance. What's what's your idea of, I guess, balance? I'm trying to find what your priority list is, apart from analyzing what the densification is and how the buildings are being built. I mean, we do want to have Squamish grow economically as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Like I said, I think it would be great to try to attract more industry in Squamish for sure, to have like high paying jobs so that people can afford to live here. I think that's important. And I and, you know, I feel very strongly about livability. I feel very strongly about protecting the quality of life of people in this in this uh, community. And part of that is just listening to what other people want. And those become my priorities. You know, like, you know, I have kids. I feel like childcare. We need to do something about childcare. Like that's a huge quality of life issue for a lot of people. And it disproportionately affects women, you know. Um, And we need better resources in every other capacity around kids is something that I've experienced. And I'm hearing even like, you know, with Brennan Park, right? Like I was at the council meeting where the gentleman stood up and talked about the ice sheets for for the men. And it's like that is a very important resource for them. You know, that is their social time. That's their active time. Like that is keeping that's keeping them out of our hospitals. You know, that's keeping them healthy. It's a very important part of their quality of life. and, And that needs to be listened to. So, you know, when you ask me what my priorities are, my priorities are serving the community and doing so in a in a way that is, um, you know, that I'm advocating for them. But that's also going to be in line with my priorities, which are like equity and environment. You know, I think we need better infrastructure. I think we really need to invest in our infrastructure. We we have a lot of catch up to do. And I think Brennan Park. Yeah, I think that's an important issue for that would benefit most of our community. And tourism is also very important right now, you know, just respecting tourism. I see. I feel like you're smirking at me. You have mixed I, emotions. You know, see, Friar, Friar's tourism bit, he, this is this is where he's going to shine oh. because that's his bit about uh, about how we're going to support tourism here. Well, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we've talked about economic diversification. This leads mm-hmm. us into, into tourism. Um, you alluded to before a lot of really our industry now is tourism and, and development mm-hmm. um tourism we hang our hat that we are hardwired for adventure mm-hmm. uh, even though nobody's hardwired anymore <laughs> um we at one time were called the outdoor recreation capital of canada mm-hmm. uh, before we went with the hardwired moniker you know there's a real struggle here if we're gonna put our eggs in that basket mm-hmm. with bed space mm-hmm there, you want to call yourself a recreation. You want to draw tourism. But at this point in time, if we have a movie filming in Squamish, there isn't enough bed spaces in Squamish right now yeah. to allow the tourism sector to flourish. 
it comes back to the current council's stance on Airbnbs and a lot of things, really. But when it comes down to it, there just isn't enough bed spaces in Squamish right now to keep them here and to yeah. retain the monetary impact. I, you know, it's it's interesting because the tourism aspect that you just mentioned, it it also feeds into other issues that we're having, like like traffic downtown, right? Because these people are basically coming for day trips instead of spending money to spend the night and enjoy the area and all these things. Like it's it's a it's a big issue, really. And it affects everyone's daily lives. So my understanding is that with the new ocean developments, they have allotted spaces for hotels. So that's good. So more beds coming there. The short-term rentals, I my understanding is that the buy, you know, the the regulations that they put in place were designed to basically increase the long-term rentals in town, and uh, you know, try to minimize the impacts on housing prices. And I and I think that's largely been shown to have not worked to do that. So I, I you know, I I think that that needs to be revisited. I think we need more space, and it it is a tricky conversation because. I have to look at all the pieces and have a lot of conversations about it because I don't want to see the market open up and housing prices go even higher for people and people not be able to afford even more, you know. But at the same time, you know, I feel like you should have some rights to decide what you want to do with your house. <laughs> I, You know, it is your property. It is your home. It is your investment. And it, it does help people who are under a lot of financial strain. So, yeah, I think it should be revisited. And I, I think we should have some conversations about models that have worked in other cities and and see what we can do to open that up for availability because we do need the space. Yeah, we need it. it. The reason I ask and the reason Marcus gets on me and makes him go, <laughs> here comes Friar now is because there was a counselor, a current counselor, who was very very vocal, very adamant. Like we don't want the 2030 Olympics. We don't need it. We don't want it. Why do we? Why would we even entertain it? Well, I had a conversation with that person and said, listen, at day's end. What did the first Olympics in 2010 get us? Got us one hotel and got us a new highway. Mm. Really, that was it. But that new highway is bringing people here. Mm-hmm. And it also showcased our, our area. And now they know that they can get here within 45 minutes of Vancouver and, and 45 minutes of, of Whistler. So you're, we are positioned really nice. So now the world knows. Mm-hmm. But we go back to the bed spaces. There isn't any. You have, what, three hotels, mm-hmm. four hotels. It's not enough for the amount of people that are coming here. Which means, A, you're not delivering on your climate action plan, which you've talked about before, because people innately have to drive here and yeah. then they're driving home. Yeah. B, there isn't transit to, to enact on that climate action plan too as well, because people, again, have to drive here, drive out. C, you'd, you don't have an intergovernmental uh, or regional transit plan mm-hmm. in that people can't commute to Vancouver to their jobs really is, Lauren, interconnected. Yes. Everything we're talking about today, and you've alluded to it, it's interconnected. It's everything is interconnected. I This is how I pick all the things that I'm learning about the municipality and like all the all the issues that are going on, all the people's concerns. What I picture in my head is like, you know, rice vermicelli. I picture trying to pick up a strand of rice vermicelli and the whole friggin' bowl's worth comes up. Everything is interconnected. And it's it's so it's hard it's hard to answer some of these questions because there are so many moving pieces. And I think it's important that we kind of dig deeper into the issues and find more elegant solutions for them that work for everyone, you know, and for the tourism part, like I've heard talk of maybe putting in, uh, you know, to alleviate some of the traffic downtown, putting in like a bigger parking lot 
near where the Smoke Bluffs parking lot is to have almost like a shuttle bringing people downtown, potentially, you know, especially if we have hotels in that oceanfront area. I don't want to lose four stories of our oceanfront to parking. Nobody wants that, I don't think, you know, and nobody wants those cars going in and down on Cleveland Street. We just don't have the capacity, you know. So and another part about it is, oh, my God, do we need sea to sky transit? Yes, we need transit up this corridor. I don't want to drive to the to the aquarium with my kids when I want to go into town. I don't want to have to drive to the airport. I don't want to have to do that. It's bad for the environment. It costs me a lot of money. It's inconvenient. I want to have transit up the corridor. And I understand that's easier said than done. You need a lot of agreement throughout municipalities. But there is a there's somebody running for mayor in West Van who wants to push for it. So like, let's. Oh, I'm seeing yeah. more faces. No, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. Like so maybe they, it's they, time, right? Well, the municipalities Hopefully. are kind of in agreement, from my understanding, that I know Whistler is on board, Pemberton's on board, everyone's on board because it's easier for workers to come up and down yep. to if they work in Squamish or they work in Whistler, for them to travel with a transit system other than bringing their cars and adding more congestion within the cities or the municipalities. So there is a, a congruence there with the municipalities. It's the it's the lobbying to the, the provincial government that's the issue. <sighs> yeah. So, I mean, how, how are your lobbying you know powers? How annoying and persistent I can be. That's what I'm asking. I'm a, I'm a very sweet lady. <laughs> Unless I want something that you are not giving to me. <laughs> I like, I, you know, I say that I, I you know, I'm, I'm respectful as well, but I feel very strongly about advocating for people's rights to things. And how are we supposed to have, how are we supposed to meet our climate action goals when the province is telling us we have to stay on LNG as a green, as a green fuel, which it absolutely is not again as a geological engineer absolutely is not you know and when they're hot when they're hamstringing us about like transit and stuff like that we absolutely need more advocacy and I know like people tell me oh Lauren you can't say this stuff because it's not in your jurisdiction but at what point are we going to take these crises and say if you're not going to do something we have to act creatively as a municipality like our healthcare situation I don't have a GP you know that's a big deal. Our healthcare situation is is really bad. And I, I don't know like if it's just lobbying or if we can, we must be able to do something, you know? So my, my question to you in follow-up to that question is, you've been here for seven, eight years now. Four. What, four? Yeah, I've I been said, in Squamish oh, for I said, four. I said six, she said four. And then yeah. now you're saying eight. No, saying four. I've been here for 25 years. Here, it's just, okay? it's just, yeah, yeah, like I'm really liking where this is going. And I'm pumping her tires. I'm okay with that. I've, I've known <laughs> uh, you've been here t- So you've been here 20 years. Okay? I've been, you've been here 20 years, years now. I have been here for 80 yeah, years. I've been here for 80 years. Um, do you think that our local government is doing enough when it comes to lobbying the provincial and federal governments for this funding? You know, I, I really couldn't say. One of the things I'm learning about learning, you know, about the entire municipal system is there's so much that goes on behind closed doors you know there are so many conversations I do uh, especially (laughs) upon beginning campaigning I have an immense amount of respect for the people in council because they are hustling hard but I, I don't know I mean it certainly hasn't been done you know like so there's certainly room for more advocacy whether or not they advocated you know to the extent that they could or or not like we are at the confluence of several crises and we have a lot of things that we have no control over I mean like even when you talk about densification and like building codes are all part of the province and the province is about to roll out new legislation next month that takes decision making away from the municipalities again you know I really love the quote, democracy dies in darkness. 
we need to get engaged. You know, we need to show our government like, hey, stop engaging in corporate welfare, subsidizing all these huge companies to the tunes of billions of dollars a year a year and support us. You know, support our education system, support our our medical system, support our like building codes that we can, you know, you can build houses now that don't need heating or cooling in Canada. They're called passive houses. That technology fully exists. And what do you think they build? I mean, it's an environmental crisis and they're like, let's just slap this together. You know, like we have the intelligence, the capacity, the materials to do better. So why aren't we? Money. What? <laughs> money. Money. And, uh, yeah, part Everything, of it is money. You're and, right. And we've talked about but, this. Like, it, it is money. But the thing, yeah, like you're you're right, you know, and, and that is one of the things, you know, one of my questions is, are the developments giving enough money back, giving enough back to the community? But realistically, you ask them for more and it gets funneled right down to the consumer. So it just means increased prices. But I would say, and and you're hearing this a lot in the clothing industry, for, for instance, right now, right? Yes, there is a higher upfront cost, but the long-term cost of higher quality products is lower. And I think that we're living in a society that's so obsessed with instant gratification and now, 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 that we're losing that long-term perception. So I do think it's a time that we start shifting some of our some of our ideas about politics and investment. Just to get one last little bit in here. I just wanted to make a little observation. She's brought up building codes like seven times. I'm (laughs) starting to think that maybe the house you bought isn't up to snuff. Oh my God. My house. <laughs> when I there might be a here, bone to pick here. Maybe we should just not, stay away from no, this. But, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to like step on toes here because, you know, I love, sometimes I like the taste of my own foot. But um, everybody I talk to who has a new build has had significant issues. And and I find that very concerning. My house was built in like 1978. Okay. okay. All right. I cannot walk across the downstairs floor without record skipping in the next room. That's how badly constructed. You can go underneath my house and you can see where they've tried to tack the floorboards into the joist. You're just like, did you even aim? Like, were these just random shots? You know, and you're just like, so yes, my, but my house is a different generation, but good God, yes, it's horribly built. I basically have to rebuild it myself. I just haven't had time. So as we expand upon that, I mean, I just want to say, you know, we talked about the money part. We talked about the upfront costs are X, Y, Z, but they lead to cost savings down Mm -hmm. the road, Mm -hmm. right? Developers innately, they're in it for a return on investment. Yeah. They're not looking at it through the long haul. They're looking no. at get it up, no, no, get no. it in, walk away right. with money in yeah. hand and see you later. And I do agree with you that it is about the short term because every time I see a new development like the Sea and Sky when they had the pamphlets out about investing in the Sea and Sky development, on the bottom there there was a line that said in a year or two you can get about 3% ROI on your investment. Back in the day when you bought a home, you bought a home thinking about your family, you're going to yeah. live there. Yeah. You're going to you know, you're going to raise your kids there in your school. There's no there was never an ROI line on your investment if you buy a home. You know, and, and that's why I think that's what comes down to money that people, the, the, these companies coming out looking for people to invest in these homes because there's an ROI in a year or two of 3%. So the thinking is, I think, more short term than, than the long term, as, as you've been saying. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, it's a business for them. <laughs> it is They're a business. They're not in the business of being a good guy and breaking even and saying, well, but like, I'm glad I did this. Uh, They're not the ones driving by here going, look, 
I built that, and I am so damn proud of that. That's construction guys. Those are, those are, <laughs> that's your framers. That's your finished carpenters, your roofers, etc. Yeah. The guys with the boots on ground. Yeah. The other guys are the guys in the suits and the ties. They're going, okay, we're crunching numbers. Yeah. Did we make our target so that our investors are now happy? And yeah. can we have we satisfied that project? And can we move on now to the next? Oh, they, you it, are going to get me on to something. Yeah. Like, basically... Like I said, I like to think about systems. I like to look at entire systems and see how, like, what's going on and how we can fix it. But one of the issues is right now our current economic model is infinite growth in a finite system. And anybody who can think two steps can realize that that is impossible. So right now we are striving for an impossibility and we need to readjust things. Like there's this really cool economic model that's getting more popular now called donut economics. And basically what it says is like, if you're right now, all of us in North America are living basically way outside of the donut. But if we start looking at our economic system as staying within our resources, which all of our money ultimately comes from resources. So it's just kind of sensible and logical then you want to stay within the donut so with if you're inside the donut that's like people living in starvation and below the poverty line and they can't have like a quality of life they aren't meeting their basic needs but staying within that donut so i would love to see shifts in the mentalities of the you know the ties and suits like you were just saying who actually do take pride in what they designed and what they put into their community because that is a home for someone you know and i think there should be a shift in that mentality but that's, I don't know that I can address that in municipal politics, <laughs> but well, I'd like to. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> you got to start, start somewhere, somewhere. right? Because yeah. I do feel like there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, socially, there's a lot that's being put on the backs of people, you know, so that other people can make a lot of money. And I, uh, I got a little cranky about it. <laughs> a little bit spicy, a little cranky. I like that. So you, you touched upon planning and, and, and neighborhoods and what are we going to do to make sure that there's a better process around actual neighborhood planning and we know the plan is to plan right yeah. around these neighborhoods and around every neighborhood in Squamish yeah I believe that that plan to plan started in with previous councils and was supposed to be carried through at this term but there really hasn't been anything that's come forward um, other than I think the VLA and the Garibaldi Highlands plan the the, the mamquam plan and really that's because it's it's become a hot button subject because i think uh really a, a developer had let let the cat out of the bag and started asking everybody to sell yeah i, I, th I think we should start a drinking game that every time we say the word plan on this podcast you take a shot because it's just it's just nothing but plans nothing but plans. It's plan to plan you got a plan to right? plan so do you think we're doing a good enough job or do you think the district of squamish is doing a good enough job engaging its constituents and its residents and creating these plans in a timely manner and actually enacting on them this count this sitting council did come up with the official community plan for the entire region right uh, for the entire municipality. And they also have come up, I think, with two neighborhood plans. And that that is, I believe, the current plan. Oh boy, we really should start a game, eh? Mm -hmm. um, the current plan is to come up with a plan <laughs> for each for each neighborhood, right? And so they've got two done now. Um, in terms of a community engagement, you know, I think that goes both ways. Like, I think that maybe I'm just speaking for myself personally, when I see a development sign up in my neighborhood, I'm just like, well, there's no point in engaging because basically I don't have the money. I'm not the one who's going to get 
what I want out of this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people feel that way. There's no point because it's, it's going to happen anyways. Um, and so <clears throat> I think part of it is, yes, there is a point. Get up and say something because this is your government and this is your town and you have rights, you know? And, and I think part of it is, I really wonder, and again, I'm very new at this. I don't know about the actual feasibility of doing this, but I kind of wonder about having a bylaw in place that allows you to veto, veto a development based on, you know, the community perception and having a significant amount of engagement. Like if you said like 75% of people have to engage and it has to be a back and forth. They can't just be like not in my backyard because you don't want that, right? Where people are just like put that stress on somebody else. Like something that says like enough people in this community have said, I don't think this is in the best interest of my neighborhood. I kind of want, I think that would be really interesting because well, right now we have community engagement. Yeah, we that's have right. Public and engagement. You're, you're looking at really what you're speaking to is first reading, second readings, right? Like, kind of. Right. You, you've but, got the community, first reading community consultation and, uh-huh. they, and they, you know, if there is concerns and then it goes back, it goes back to the drawing board. Really what you're talking about is more zoning, right? Can we, no. can we halt a change in zone? Because most often these development needs a change in zoning for them to, to proceed forward with their development. I think what she's trying to bring up is for example if everyone knew the jumar building was going to be the jumar building if 75 percent of the town went and said no don't build that jumar building that we have the right to say okay you know what don't build that jumar building well yeah. they already and then did that with like, the oil with the oil change thing did they not like I well mean, you know what i mean with right? what the the, well, the, the, the project? it was supposed oh. to be an oil change uh garage facility, facility oh, there right and yeah. the town said no so he yeah, sold the property and then and then they built the jumar but anyway yeah oh yeah everybody, everybody loves Loves that building is, is what I hear. Um, yeah, no, but what I'm saying is with the community engagement aspect that the community actually has more teeth in that. So like right now it's like, oh, we value your opinion. But now it's like, no, you legally value our opinion. You know would what I mean? Be, Marcus, would that be a referendum? Would that be that, something that would have to be put to like a referendum? Well, Legality. I'm just, I'm just speaking. Yeah, I'm just yeah. kicking. I'm just, we're just throwing when, spaghetti. Here I love, now. I love like, the this, idea. You know what I mean? This is what it's about. No, no, right? I, I love the idea. The legality of it would have to actually, that right has to be passed down by the province too. Because, um, well, the thing is municipal governments, like we, we, we're not, we don't have the same power as other municipal governments in other countries. We, yeah. we are actually dependent on, province to do a lot of things that we need to do and the we have very limited rights as a municipality yeah. so in terms of like zoning yeah. is what we control yeah. a few other things yeah. that we control but we we don't have a lot of control of a lot but that bylaw would have to be yeah i don't think you can overrule a rule no is really what it comes down to well yeah. like it's not so there would have to be a give and take like this is totally just you know a little thought experiment of mine, there's nothing you know? wrong with thinking outside of the box not, well, not that's what I mean, this is like, what i think this is probably what most constituents in squamish want to see yeah some out of the box thinking some yes. hey let's let's throw spaghetti at walls let's brainstorm yes yeah. or the vermicelli as you were saying the, vermicelli. the vermicelli let's yeah. let's grab the vermicelli and, and that's the thing like people ask me like oh what are you gonna do about this and what are you gonna do about that i'm like i you know what i want to talk to people and how they feel about it and what they think about it because i am not an expert at all of these things but what i would like to do is put the pieces together and find solutions well half the time people just don't understand or realize that yes. this is politics at the end there is seven people yeah in council chambers. Yep. Seven individuals. Yep. Well, unless you're a slate. <laughs> but you still don't. Anyways, yeah. I'm not going to go there. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> there's seven people. And it takes cooperation yes. and collaboration. Yes. On any one subject, you need four, right? So you yes. innately, if you have one, if you have a bright idea, 
you got to bring three others along with you to say, you know yep. what, let's get that past first reading and let's move on and let's enact on this. But I would say that's why it's really important to make sure that you're voting for people who have the best interests of Squamish in, in their hearts, you know? And, like, people are going to specialize in different things, you know? But as long as people are coming to the table who really care about improving their community, I think that's the most important part, right? Because all, all of it is a learning curve. It's a super steep learning curve. You must know, you know? But... You know, all of it is learning and conversations. Let's get into the rapid fire. The, oh the rapid, rapid fire. Oh I think we've covered a lot of it, but we'll do it again anyway. Uh, so densification, you're for slowing it down a little bit. I would like to slow it down a little bit, but I, I do think it's part of the solution. Some densification. Garibaldi Estates, the development in the VA, VLA lands. Well, you know, that's one of the areas that I think would be really interesting to look at. Could we make that a municipal agricultural resource? I wonder about the value of that to to the city, and I don't know what that would look like. It would have to be like. But you don't want to be building condos in there. I don't think so. Or townhouses or carriage homes. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, there is I, there like again, it's people's properties. I don't think I have the right to say like you can't do that. Well, you there, have to rezone you know? it, right? Do you have to rezone for a carriage house as well? Because I no, thought that carriage, was covered. carriage yeah. house is covered. But I mean, for yeah, like I, think, I don't think developers want to go in and build carriage houses. No, I developers think don't want to. They go want to build, build in duplexes. I, and I stuff. would. You know, I, I, I think it would be a really interesting area to preserve largely the way it is, you know, and use it as an agricultural resource and it potentially have light densification like the introduction of tiny houses and, and carriage houses. I think that would be a really interesting model to explore. Chima. Well, you know, it's too bad that what happened to Chima, that their their goalpost was moved, but that's what the community wanted. So, you know, I'm sorry. I look forward to talking to you in the like near future at the rate we're growing, frankly, you know, and uh, I think I think there could be some interesting prospects there. I'm, it's just not time yet. I want my road from Pia to Doad. I want my road to Tantalus. <laughs> to Tantalus. It'll alleviate the traffic on, on Boulevard. It's crazy. The kids are almost getting hit every day. It's yeah, nuts. it's getting super busy. Yeah. Um, okay. Garibaldi is Squamish. That is a much bigger conversation than just putting in a development. Like it's the issue, as I understand it, is that it will have to tie to a municipality because it's going to need all the utilities. And will if, that be us? And that would probably be us. So we need to make sure that if when that time does come, that there is some sort of payment in perpetuity to pay for themselves because it's going to be expensive. Would that be a referendum question? I'm not sure. Yes. Well, but you can make it a referendum question. Okay. You can say like, you know what, instead of us making the extension of, of boundaries, we're going to put it to the people whether we want to extend the boundaries and put it to a referendum. Ooh, then yeah, let's do that. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I like that idea. I like the idea. She already said she's a people person and yes. she wants to engage people. I want to engage people. Let's engage. And I want people <laughs> Referendum. <to have> <laughs> I want people to have more rights. Damn the cost. Let's just have a referendum. Damn the cost. Oh, is it super expensive? Yeah. They, they are, they're Everything not cheap. Okay, we'll just expensive. do an Instagram poll and make that efficient. <laughs> How does that work? Instagram poll, yep. And I yep. think this is going to be our favorite super one because you've touched on it several times. Uh -oh. L-N-G. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. 
I'm on team nope for that one. If you want me to go on for about three hours, I will. I don't need you to go for three hours. I'm just, I'm, you know, the, the argument obviously is the tax income. Uh, I mean, yeah. apart from the terminals and Walmart, I think LNG would be a good injection of cash. And especially with the world right now needing natural gas because, you know, what's going on in Russia and yes. Ukraine. So there is a potential there for, you know, more income. You don't want to obviously sacrifice the environment for money. Well, I mean, it's not just as simple as the environment for money. The IPCC has just straight up said this is code red for humanity. This is a species moment. If we do not reduce our carbon output, we will face horrible repercussions. Like we are on the brink of not only a climate crisis, it's also the world's sixth mass extinction. Think dinosaurs, right? How many dinosaurs do you know? They look like chickens now. So those are the dinosaurs, right? And also, uh, you know, we have so much plastic in our ocean, which is also a petroleum product. Thank you very much. That they're expecting it to outweigh fish in 20 years. I get it. We need energy. We don't need LNG. We need energy. And LNG, fracked gas, like the method of fracking irreversibly contaminates drinking water for us, for our food sources, for everything. It's, it's just not, it's a short-term solution for a long-term issue. And the more infrastructure we pour into these gargantuous projects, I mean, what, Wood Fiber's budget just went from 1.6 to $4.3 billion. Imagine how many jobs we could produce with $4.3 billion worth of renewable energy. Right. Like, so I, to me, it's like pouring money into horses and carriages when the Model T is popularized. You know what I mean? It's a dying industry. We can't be reliant upon it anymore. The bare facts are we need to get away from it as an energy source. I understand it's an easy energy source right now, relatively speaking, but it's also only viable because it's being heavily subsidized by the federal and provincial government. Okay. That wasn't three hours, but good. Oh, I, I'll go long. No, no, I'll go longer. No, we're, good. we're good. We're good. That's why we're doing rapid fire, because we're running out of time here. Crumpet Woods development. Uh, yeah, North Crumpet Woods. I have a lot of concerns about habitat destruction. You know, we just tore out the spit because of salmon and herring, right? I, I would like to see more environmental studies done. Uh, and I would like to make sure that the development that goes in there is appropriate for the needs of the town. Kind of similar to Chima. Yeah, kind of similar to Chima. I mean, like, the, the thing is, as a municipality, we can't just say, like, no, you can't develop the land that you legally own, right? We only have so many rights here. And it's really important to maintain a seat at the table so that when time does come, you can have a respectful conversation of, like, wow, it would be really cool to look at these, like, more energy-efficient designs and this more, like, you know, a cradle-to-cradle design or, or a circular economy design, you know, like really start thinking outside the box with these people if they're willing. So you don't really want to piss them off too much because you want to be able to have a business relationship with them. Ben and Park improvements and upgrades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got two kids. I, I know. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. And it is underway, right? Like that's going to be something that the next council is is doing. We have the funding for it and Moving forward, I feel like you're looking, you're making the eyes. They have some funding to start doing some lipstick. The actual big changes we're still waiting for, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong on that? Yeah, assessment? no, it's absolutely lipstick on a pig. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be up. It the, sounds I mean, impressive, you know. It, but. It, it, listen, it's, it is going to make it, as you explained and alluded to in, in a lot of what you've talked about, Lauren, is it will make it more green and energy efficient mm-hmm. uh, while creating some more space and accessibility. We speak to reconciliation quite a bit, and it's a very, very real subject. The Squamish Nation and the District of Squamish have not had an intergovernmental accord since 
early 90s. There is no current services agreement for the reservations in in Squamish with the Squamish Nation. How do you feel and what do you think about that? Well, I don't like I don't want to speak on behalf of the Squamish Nation. I have tried to reach out to them a couple times because I would I feel very strongly about equity and reparations as part of that. And I would love to see more collaboration between the Squamish Nation and Squamish itself. I mean, I think it's they just seem so isolated from each other right now. And I feel like there's there's so much culture and wisdom and history and so much we need to learn and so much we can share. And I would really love to see that. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I want them to approach me. Like, well, I don't want to like no, force my ideas no, on that. You know fine. what I mean? No, no, the reason I ask is because the Squamish Nation, they're astute business people. Ultimately, they, they have the opportunity for land ownership. And we look around us and we see all this green land. And we, we today are recording on the uh, unceded traditional territories of the Squamish Nation. You know, it behooves me in all of these years, we've had one intergovernmental accord where there's a clear expectation of what the district can expect of the Squamish Nation and what the Squamish Nation can expect from the district with respect to a working relationship. So are we actually really inviting them to the table or are we just having breakfast with them once a month to try and figure out where they're at? Because that's currently how it is. Yeah. And while that may be enviable to some and other other districts, to me, I just don't feel like it's enough. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to me that there is a massive underrepresentation of the Squamish Nation within the municipality. And I would I would love to be part of of bridging that gap for sure. Yeah. Well, since you've been so kind to let us like throw questions at you for the last little bit here, this is your time to give us your spiel. Oh God. Your your spiel <laughs> when when you stand in front of a crowd of people and they say, Why are you? Here you go. Really, I want to advocate for people. You know, I I really feel like we're in a system where people feel disengaged because there's so much apathy. There's no point in getting engaged. And I want people to get engaged. I want people to have somebody who can push their ideas forward and, and really have different ideas of how we do things. Like really change the way we do things as a municipality in in the best direction possible and make sure that we have the highest livability possible in this town like people want to live here they're happy living here they're proud of their community so it's it's really just more i'm persistent i like learning i like to listen to people i i think i would just do a good job of representing people and if people want to get to you and talk about their issues how can they reach you well, you can email me at squamishgreenlaw.gmail.com or you can check out my website if you want to know and that's squamishgreenlaw.ca. You can attempt to find me on social media where I am absolutely the worst and I don't know how to post anything. But the best ways to get in touch with me are email or or check out the website, website and it has a contact me button on there too. Well, thank you very much for coming in like early in the day and not caffeinated. I don't know how you do that. I, I drank my coffee pretty quick and I'm still like, oh. I'm empty. So, I'm going to make a run. Yeah, I, I got to do another coffee run before our next interview for sure. But uh, I envy you being able to handle us without caffeine. That's amazing. And, you know, best of luck in the election. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you, you know, as a new counselor. Here's hoping. Thank you so much. Best of luck, Lauren. Thanks. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.